Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, lovely to see you to share this wonderful and joyous occasion. Uh, my name is Alex. I'm the Senior Associate Minister here of our Carlton campus at St Jude's. And if you are visiting and you are interested in finding a church and you want to find out more about who we are and what we're about, I'd love to speak to you after the service. Uh, as Sam mentioned, in a moment we'll hear from the Bible. But today we are reflecting together on Matthew chapter 28, one of the New Testament accounts of what Easter is all about, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, can you think of any events, say in the last year or so, that have impacted the world? Well, there was uh, the Swan's glorious victory yesterday, as uh, Sam mentioned. Well, our world over the past year has changed in extraordinary ways, uh, ways we might not even realise for a number of years to come. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago has, a, has had an even greater impact on the world. We still feel its impact today and will feel it forever. The world isn't the same since Jesus rose from the dead. Life is not the same. Death is not the same since Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, Glenn's going to read Matthew 28 in three parts. And after each part, I'll just share a little reflection uh, uh, on why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so significant and why we should treat it with the uttermost seriousness. Now, the first reason is pretty straightforward, but it is really important. We should take it seriously because Jesus actually rose from the dead. It really happened. So Glenn uh, come, is going to come forward and read the first 10 verses for us. Matthew 28, verses 1 to 10. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go on Galilee. There they will see me. Thanks, Glenn. Well, our, our culture uh, here in the West often operates in these kind of binary spheres. Uh, the public and the private. Our work and home. Our faith and reason facts 
and values. And, and Christianity tends to be placed in the, in the realm of the private, uh, something you keep to yourself. Christianity is seen as subjective, a, a personal, faith-based and value-oriented rather something than something that's factual, uh, reasonable or objective. Uh, that's how our culture operates, but that's not how Matthew 28 presents the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Matthew's account is clear. Uh, Jesus' resurrection isn't a metaphor. It's not just a story. It's not something just for private belief. It's a public fact of history. It really happened. And there are lots of details that kind of point us to that fact in what we just heard. We can't go through them all, but I I just want us to notice four facts that highlight the reality of the resurrection. The first is that it's an eyewitness account. Uh, Jesus' resurrection was a unique and an extraordinary event. And what we know of it comes from people who saw with their own eyes the empty tomb and Christ risen from the dead. Uh, These two women uh, that we meet in this account, Mary and Mary Magdalene, they were the first of those eyewitnesses. But they were the first of a long line. And it's on on the basis of their eyewitness testimony and others that the New Testament accounts were written and gained their essential credibility. Indeed, uh, afterwards, more than uh, 500 eyewitnesses could have been called to testify about seeing what they didn't expect to see. Jesus Christ, who was executed and killed on Friday, but alive and risen on Sunday. Now, some people might uh, dismiss uh, their testimony as unreliable. Uh, Jesus might be a compelling historical figure But they just can't get on board with this kind of naive, this almost primitive, unscientific idea that Jesus actually rose from the dead. After all, that's not what modern reasonable people people believe, right? But maybe people back then, well, maybe, maybe they believed this sort of stuff. It doesn't take long as you think through that attitude to realize it's patronizing and just wrong. Just because they didn't have computers or reality TV doesn't mean they had a low IQ. People in Jesus' time saw people die, often, much more than we do. And they knew that was it, the end. Now, people in the ancient world believed lots of things about life after death, like they do in our world now, but no one believed in embodied life after death, resurrection life, the kind of life that Jesus was raised to. It's a modern myth that we've discovered that dead people don't rise. That's why Jesus' disciples despaired when he was killed. That's why Thomas doubted until he saw Jesus and touched him in his hands and in his side. That's why the angel here needed to say to the women, he is not here, he has risen. Because that's not what they expected. When these women and other eyewitnesses testified that they saw Jesus alive, raised from the dead, they didn't mean it metaphorically. 
They didn't mean they had some kind of spiritual or psychological experience. They meant it literally. And so when they and others said, we are witnesses of these things, they were either lying, deluded, or telling the truth. There's little evidence to suggest that they were lying. You see, many died for their testimony, and it's hard to believe that they'd do that for something they knew was made up, right? You might have heard of uh, Chuck Colson. Uh, He was one of the central figures uh, in Watergate, in the Watergate scandal during the Nixon presidency back in the 70s, 50 years ago almost. Just think, in 1990, 50 years ago was the 1940s. Anyway, Chuck Colson, he later became a Christian and he makes the same point. He says the apostles were beaten, tortured, stoned and put in prison. They would not have endured it if it were true. Our Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. There's little evidence to suggest that eyewitnesses were lying and little to think that they were deluded, but plenty of evidence to suggest that they were telling the truth. That's the first fact. This is an eyewitness account. The second fact that shows this account is historical. The first eyewitnesses were women. And if this account was uh, written to pull the wool over our eyes, this wouldn't have been the case. It's an unfortunate fact of history that women in Jesus' culture were seen as lesser and their testimony unreliable. It's awful. But the fact is, if this account was fabricated, the first eyewitnesses wouldn't have been women. They would have been men. But they weren't. Because this is how it really happened. The women were really there. They were the first to see him, the first to hear him, the first to touch him, the first to worship him, and the first to share the wonderful news of his resurrection. And the fact that they were the first eyewitnesses isn't a coincidence. Uh, Nothing Jesus did was by accident. These women were deliberately chosen in a society which didn't value them. His choice here, like much of his ministry, was deliberately countercultural. Read the Gospels and you'll see that Jesus loves, defends, includes, and upholds women in a way that Jewish society didn't. He was compassionate to all those in Israelite society who are on the margins. That's why Jesus is so beautiful and so compelling and his choice here shows the value and dignity women have in God's kingdom the recent events amongst our nation's leadership are a reminder that women are still not treated with the value and dignity with which God created them and it's a reminder for us this account that Jesus' love was radically inclusive And as his church, Jesus calls us to live out that radically inclusive love here in our community and beyond. Second fact, the women were eyewitnesses. Third fact, 
the tomb was empty. Third fact that points to the reality of the resurrection. The women saw it, so did the guards, and so did many others. Now, there were many opponents of the early Christian movement who had both the motivation and the power to put an end to all of this, this early Christian movement. All they had to do was to produce Jesus' body or point to it in the tomb. There it is, guys. Game over. But they didn't because they couldn't. Now, on its own, the empty tomb doesn't prove that Jesus rose from the dead. Something else could have happened. But what we can say is that the tomb was empty. And one explanation is that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Fourth fact, the tomb wasn't just empty. Jesus was actually seen, heard and touched. These women weren't just joining the dots, you see. Like, they weren't trying to just piece together the evidence. Uh, When they saw the empty tomb, they didn't think, interesting, perhaps Jesus has risen from the dead. That's not what they would have thought. Actually, Mary Magdalene's initial response was this, from John 20. Mary stood outside the tomb and she was crying As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And the angels asked her, Woman, why are you crying? And Mary said, They have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. Mary's first response was to weep, for her Lord was dead. And now they've taken his body away. But then her tears turned to joy from verse 9. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him. They clasped his feet and they worshipped him. They saw the empty tomb and then they saw him alive, risen from the dead. All who saw Jesus were deeply moved. It's not hard to imagine why having that experience. But they weren't naive. They weren't deluded. And they certainly weren't liars. And yes, this event is extraordinary and significant. Much more significant than any other historical event but we know about the resurrection of Jesus Christ the same way we know about any other event in history through the testimony of others not everything that's true can be sampled repeated or examined under a microscope and so like any other historical event belief in the resurrection does require some degree of faith And given the stakes are so high, you might ask for stronger evidence, stronger testimony than usual. That's fair. But that's what we have. Multiple eyewitness testimony tried under pressure. 
Friends, the first reason to take the resurrection of Jesus Christ seriously is because it really happened. And the second reason to take it seriously is because it was lied about. Uh, Glenn's going to come forward now and read the next section, uh, verses 11 to 16. Uh, Matthew 28, verses 11 to 15. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took his money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Thanks, Glenn. Well, we're all friends here, right? Have you ever told a lie to get out of trouble? Have you ever done that? You can be honest with me. Uh, when my wife Liz was very young, about five years old, there was an incident in her house. Uh, her brother, who was about two years older, was playing with shoe polish. For some reason, thought it would be a great idea to paint it all over the oven. Well, he didn't realise, like most kids, when they're having fun, that he was doing the wrong thing until his parents came out furious. Who did this? At that point, he realised that someone was going to cop it, whoever did it. So he replied, look, I don't know who did it, but I saw Elizabeth with the shoe polish somewhere near the oven just before. And then he watched on as she got busted for doing something he knew she didn't do. Have you ever told a lie to get yourself out of trouble? Not me. I wouldn't do something like that. If you're watching, David, Liz hasn't forgotten. <laughs> uh, Jesus' resurrection was an absolute disaster for the Jewish authorities. They'd worked so hard to have him killed, right? And they had lots of reasons to lie about it. Well, since then, there have been many other attempts to cover up, to deny, to lie about Jesus' resurrection. Uh, this was the first. You are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. It's worth noting that they had to devise a story uh, to explain the empty tomb. That fact apparently was undeniable. But we know it's a lie. And that was the first. And there are many others that are told today. Here's one you may have heard. Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He kind of just passed out. And they took him for dead and they put his body in the tomb. And when he was in the tomb, he kind of came to. And with nail wounds in his hands and his feet and a spear wound in his side, he, he managed to sort of somehow roll the uh, rock away, overcome the guards, escape and, and, and convince his disciples he was risen from the dead and was Lord of the universe. 
What do you think about that? Absolutely no evidence for that theory. It really is just joining the dots. It's a theory you construct when you really don't want to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Another lie. This whole count was never meant to be taken literally. It's just a metaphor. What do you think about that? Does it read like that to you? Another lie. None of this actually happened. This is all just made up, fabricated by the church. Again, that doesn't work. You see, the broad outline of Jesus' life, his death, and the claims of his resurrection can be corroborated from other outside, unbiased, non-Christian sources. And so why did people play these kind of logical gymnastics with Matthew 28? Why do some people deal with it in what seems to be such an unscientific way? Well, sometimes it's a prior commitment, right? It might be a philosophical commitment. Look, miracles can't happen. I just can't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Could be a personal commitment. Look, I just don't want to deal with the implications that Jesus' resurrection has for my life. That's why the Jesus... Uh, the Jewish authorities lied about it, right? They didn't want to deal that Jesus might actually be the Messiah God promised. When we have these prior commitments, we tend to read the resurrection through a filter. And then our conclusions are ultimately governed not by the evidence, but what we bring to the table, our prior commitments. But what if we approach Matthew 28 with an open mind? What then? Denials of the resurrection are nothing new and they are no more credible than they were back then, no matter who they're coming from. That's why we need to pay attention to the people who actually were there, the eyewitnesses. Well, now we come to the third and final part of Matthew's resurrection account, uh, verses uh, 17 to 20. And here we see that the third reason uh, to take the resurrection seriously is because it is the most important event in history. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Thanks, Glenn. Easter Sunday is a central part of the Christian story. But the real significance of the resurrection can be underestimated, even by Christians. You see, it's not just the ultimate proof that God is real. I mean, it's true that it proves that. 
but there's more. You see, the scriptures say that the resurrection is the beginning of a new era. The beginning of a new era in creation. And it means that the long-awaited kingdom of God has finally arrived. Jesus is the king of the kingdom. And God has given us all evidence of this by raising him from the dead. And the resurrection marks the beginning of his reign. Through Jesus, our troubled and our broken world will be renewed and finally one day perfected. And through Jesus, sinners like you and me can be forgiven and welcomed into relationship with God. Listen to what Jesus says about the significance of his resurrection. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You see, the resurrection isn't just a miracle. It's a transition. It's a coronation. The king of the universe has been crowned and he's reigning with authority and in power. And we get hints of that through Jesus' life and his ministry as he heals the sick, as he casts out demons, as he stops the wind and the waves. But we see his power and his authority in all its glory in his resurrection as he defeats even death itself. Even death couldn't defeat him. But but Jesus didn't just defeat death for himself. He defeated it for us. You see, all who embrace Jesus, his rule, his authority will be welcomed into relationship with God. And all who trust in him will have new life, eternal life, with him forever. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Friends, Christ is risen. Thank you. And because he is risen, that means the time has come for all people, everywhere, all nations, to come into his kingdom, to become his disciples, to receive forgiveness and the promises of eternal life. And the time has come for all people to embrace the authority of Jesus Christ over all things. To acknowledge his authority over my life and yours. That's what it means to be his disciple. Jesus Christ is the risen Lord and that means what lies ahead for all the world, it's all in his hands my hopes and my anxieties, my joys and my sorrows, my struggles 
and my pain, my life and my death, my present and my eternity. It's all in his hands. And that's good news for Jesus is powerful and he is trustworthy and he is good and he loves us all more than we could ever, ever imagine. Friends, whatever's happening for you at the moment, I hope that the good news of Easter Sunday is a wonderful encouragement for you this morning. And if you haven't embraced Jesus yet as your Lord, can I, encourage, can I urge you, don't ignore what you've heard today. Don't ignore it. Because Jesus calls you, he calls all of us to become his disciples, to learn from him, to obey him, to love him, to trust him, and to worship him. And how you respond to Jesus' call is the most important decision you will ever make. Let me pray for us. Father God, we praise you for this day that Jesus didn't stay dead, that he rose again in glory to reign over all things, to reign over death itself. We praise you for the hope we have in him. And Father, I pray for any of us today who are still grappling with all of that. Please be with them by your spirit. Help them see Jesus for who he really is. In his name, amen.